Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Man, it's a hot one. The thermometer's topping 90 degrees inside the studio and it's too loud to run an AC or a fan. So I'm going to get things moving as quickly as possible. So let's cut to the chase and get the show on the road. The theme for the first story of the evening has been mentioned on the show before, but it's been quite a while. I thought it was high time that we had ourselves another doppelganger story. So without further delay, this is John's story out of California. Hey Derek, this is John. I called recently about the Ouija board. I didn't think I'd be calling again anytime soon, but I listened to your podcast, found your podcast and started listening from season one, episode one. And I've been listening to one or two, sometimes three episodes a day when I work. And just recently listened to season three, episode 12, about the doppelganger. And I had an interesting story. In 1991, I transferred from... I'm a, I'm a mailman. I transferred from Pleasanton to Modesto. In 98, they have three offices. In 98, I started at the office that I'm still at. And I started to uh, shave my head in 2001. I've worked with pretty much the same group of people for almost 20 years, and I've known them for longer because I would sometimes go to their office and sometimes uh, and see them and talk to them. And in 2007, I ended up buying a 2002 metallic blue Corvette. And I'd taken it to work a few times uh, when my daughter's car had broken down or uh, to show it off. But I don't like having it sit out in the sun for eight, ten hours and just sitting there. So I do drive it occasionally, and and people I work with know that I have it. Uh, It's pretty common that if we're working, 
and or rather if we're off and someone's drives by in a mail truck that we'll try and look at them to see who it is and wave and a lot of us know other people's personal vehicles around 2009 I started uh, having people that I work with saying that they saw me hey, I saw you on this street driving at such and such a time and I said well, what was I driving your Corvette and I would see uh, they would see me and I'd drive by but then I'd be still at work that day or I'd come to work and they'd say I saw you yesterday on your day off uh, no I never left the house or what'd you see me doing I saw you driving your Corvette so there was somebody driving around in the same color Corvette that everyone thought looked just like me. I had one carrier come up to me and say, "Why didn't you? Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you wave over? Because we have our vehicles, the postal vehicles, our right-hand drive, and so if you're in the left lane." And there's a right right lane. You're right next to the driver on the other side. And evidently, this carrier was parked right next to, sitting right next to me, you know, five feet away, if that. And the, the driver of the Corvette never looked up. And I told him that I didn't drive my vet, and he was he was sure that it was me. I had another person, a guy that I play soccer with. I was I was working. I was in the bathroom and my phone rings and I see that it's this guy and he says hey I'm right behind you I told him no I don't think you are he goes yeah I'm right behind you I'm not I don't know what you're saying Terry but I'm not right you're not right behind me and it turns out that he said he asked me what what are you doing I said I'm working and he said, well, I'm right behind, obviously he was on the freeway, he was right behind the blue Corvette, or maybe he was in the city, I don't know, I didn't ask, but he was sure it was me. And I've known this guy for a good 12 or 15 years, and rarely do I uh, let my hair grow out or have facial hair maybe once every two three years I do something and one day I see a blue Corvette coming from the other side and as it gets to the point where I can see the driver he has a goatee on his face well, I haven't grown hair but for some reason I decided to grow a goatee and he had a goatee and I had a goatee and that was kind of strange uh, about, I'd say, four, three years ago, I was delivering mail in the parking lot of a business, and they had a, a cluster box sitting in the middle of the parking lot, and this guy pulled up right within 20 feet away and parked in a spot. And I saw, of course, I see a car that looks like mine. I always look, and it was, it was this guy... And I said to him, jokingly, hey, you know, I've had people tell me, you're my doppelganger. 
And he gave me a funny look, and I thought he would think it was funny. I explained to him what had happened and what, what had happened, or what, what people had said, and he seemed really bothered by it, didn't think it was that funny, and then ended up uh, walking away, and I drove, drove away. And to be honest, since that time, I've never had, I have not had a single person say they've seen me driving a Corvette when it wasn't me, and I haven't seen that guy again. So I love your show, and keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, John, for taking the time to call in. Something I found a bit humorous while listening to your story was the fact that the doppelganger had a goatee. I couldn't help but think of the old 80s and 90s cartoons where the evil version of the hero donned a menacing goatee. A sure sign of that character's evilness. I think it's important to point out that this very well could have been a gigantic coincidence. With 8 billion people on the planet, it's not impossible to think that there may be somebody out there that looks an awful lot like you. And with thousands of Corvettes on the road today, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that someone that looks like you also drives a car similar to yours. But even I will admit that in the grand scheme of things, that is a fairly big coincidence considering that this all took place in the same small town. My final thought is this. I wonder if the gentleman that John spoke with sounded like John as well. It seems only John knows the answer to that question. Thank you again, John, for sharing your story. And I did receive your first story, but unfortunately the second half never came through. So if you don't mind, please call in and finish the story about your Ouija board experience. Thanks again, John. Our next story is a very recent one. It seems Haley called in the morning after her most recent experience with the abnormal in her new home. This is Haley's call. Hi, Derek. It's Haley. Um, I called a few weeks ago. Um, I just had a very interesting night. Um, I have recently moved to a new, um, like, duplex, and I'm with uh, four other roommates and my boyfriend. Um, Well, last night, um, it was around... 1.45 1.45 in the morning when, uh, when my boyfriend and I were going to go to sleep. And we had been kind of offhandedly chatting, like, oh, what would you do if, you know, we lived in a haunted house or whatever. And I hadn't had any feelings about this house. Um, but as soon as we started to drift off to sleep, all of our fire alarms in the entire house um, both floors went off simultaneously and lasted for um, maybe 15 seconds. Um, I'm not 100% sure because I was, you know, almost asleep. Um, and by the time I got to the actual fire alarm to turn it off, they had stopped. Um, so I had checked and to see if there was any smoke, any fire, anything, and there was nothing. Um, Obviously, nobody had been cooking anything. Um, And we have a gas stove and 
nothing was on, there was nothing burning. Um, so we thought it was weird. Maybe for some reason they were testing, like the fire alarms might have been self-testing. I, I don't know. But um, we went back to bed and then it happened again around 2.30, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, they went off for about 15 seconds, every single one. You could tell it was every single one in the house. Um, and this time I got up, looked out, uh, like took out the battery, um, went outside my room into the kitchen where one of my roommates was there. And I was like, do you, do you know what's going on? She goes, no, but... Um, this has happened before and um, she doesn't she didn't know what was going on we're both were really freaked out uh, and uh, I just yeah I thought it was a pretty interesting coincidence I'd love to hear your thoughts about it um, and I'll call you with you know more stories <laughs> this one um, definitely wasn't expected but uh, thanks Bye. Thank you, Haley, for sharing your experience. And I'm sorry to hear that the first night in your new home was so eventful. In an attempt to rationalize what you experienced, I came up with the following suggestions. Would you have found the fire alarm going off to be paranormal in nature if you weren't just discussing that with your boyfriend earlier that evening? Meaning... If you did not already have ghosts on the mind, would you simply think the unit was faulty or broken? Secondly, it is not uncommon for spiders to trigger certain kinds of smoke alarms, and from what I gather, most smoke alarms work via laser or some sort of light source. When the beam of that laser or light source is interrupted, it triggers the alarm. Now, what happens often is a spider will make its way into the fixture, spin a web that disrupts the laser, and triggers the alarm. If these alarms were all connected or synced, then they will all go off in unison. So, perhaps instead of a ghostly house guest, you have one of the arachnid variety. Of course, it's easy for me to offer up these explanations not having been there. So perhaps these explanations are completely off base. Either way, I want to thank you for calling in, and hopefully that late night experience was your last. Our next story is a bit different from most. This one actually has an ending. The following is Randy's story. Hi, my name is Randy and I currently reside in Richmond, Virginia. This experience takes place in Chittenago, New York over a period of seven years. For some reason, I have always been drawn to the darker and unexplained side of things, from the Loch Ness Monster to ghosts. I have always yearned for more information. I remember going to the library and finding this book on the supernatural. It covered ghosts, vampires, werewolves, demons, and much, much more. When I first checked it out, I noticed an interesting symbol on the back, but didn't really think anything of it. Later, I would discover that it was a satanic pentagram. I read through the book cover to cover, soaking in all the information that it had in it. Even showed it off to some of my friends, and I eventually returned it, not thinking anything of it. This is where the experiences begin. I started having what most would say is either night terrors or sleep paralysis, but I believe it was something more than just that. 
I would be asleep, and the next thing I knew it, my dreams would cease and I would begin to hear low, static noise. Like, white noise. It would get louder and louder, which is when I would sit bolt upright and begin to panic. I couldn't open my eyes. Fear set in as the noise continually would get louder and louder. Frantically, I would try to open my eyes. The fight-or-flight response kicked in, and in a moment of clarity, I used my fingers to force my eyes wide open. When they did open, the noise faded, and the fear left me. I would look around my room to nothing at all and eventually fall back to sleep. This started happening when I was 12 years old. In time, it started happening more frequently. I remember waking up one night and seeing a large red gaseous orb floating in my room. Now, my room was by the road, but there was no vehicles going by my room at the time, let alone one that could produce something like that. I was mortified when I saw this and did what any kid would do and put my head under the covers and just hoped that it would go away. When I hit 16, dreams took a turn for the worse. Voices started coming through the static. The voices beat me down. They said I wasn't worth it and I didn't deserve to live, and that I should end my life. That was all I was good for. I had also noticed my mood changing. I grew darker, more hostile, and lashed out at everyone. Even when I went off to college, I would get more physical with friends than I should have. When I was 19, I was on my own and seen someone. She witnessed one of these terrors and I told her everything that had happened in them. She made the suggestion of going to church. At the time, I was hesitant, but if there was a chance to end this, I had to take a shot. One time was all it took, and I sat there in church and felt everything lift off of me. The relief of the weight was so overwhelming it brought me to tears. For seven years, I was tortured by some dark spirit or demon, and it was all washed away like that. It had been 20 years since that day, and has never happened again. I just want to say that everyone has to walk their own path, and the last thing I want to do is act like I'm saying everyone needs to go to church. I am just saying that it worked for me in a dire time of need. I have other experiences that I will share at another time. In the meantime, keep up the great work with the podcast. I binge listened to all the episodes once I found it. Been sharing it with my friends who have similar interests as well. Thank you for taking the time to read my experience. Randy. Thank you, Randy, for taking the time to submit your encounter. As I've mentioned on the show many times, I am not a religious person. I tend to live my life based on science rather than faith. But I will not discount one's ability to self-heal. And that appears to be exactly what Randy has done, either through science or through his faith. I will agree that early on his encounter seemed awfully reminiscent of sleep paralysis or night terrors. So perhaps his devotion to the church allowed his mind to calm and clear, ridding him of these terrible dreams. Or then again, perhaps there is something larger than all that at work here. Either way, I'm happy to hear that your troubles have subsided, Randy, and I'm also delighted to hear that you're sharing the show with friends. I truly do appreciate that. Thanks again for sharing your encounter. And as promised on last week's episode, the conclusion to Tim's Shadow Man Encounters. And I have three other experiences with, I think, maybe shadow people uh, years ago from my childhood. Uh, the first one was when, when I was about five or six years old. And um, 
you know, my family and I, we moved into a new house, and I was always a scaredy cat kid, and I was scared very easily when I was younger. Um, and so I was always staying the night, you know, on the floor of my sister's room, or on the spare bed in my sister's room. And one night I was sleeping there, and or you know, she was asleep, or I, I kind of came to in the middle of the night, and and you know, and it was an old house. And for some reason, I just thought to look outside of her door into the hallway. And, you know, like all young kids, she was also, both of us were kind of afraid of the dark. So she kept the light on in the closet. And the light of the closet kind of shone through a part of her bedroom into the hallway. And right as I looked out from where I was sleeping into the hallway of, of her bedroom door, right at that moment, in, in the light of the closet, or the, the light being projected out of the closet... Uh, like a, a hooded figure kind of walks across, and as it happened, I, I, you know, it, 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 when I saw it, I didn't scare me as like, oh, it's a monster, or it's someone bad. But when I felt it as a kid, I, I almost felt like I saw something I shouldn't see. You know, you have those moments when you're a kid when you see something and you know you're not really supposed to be there, you're not supposed to experience it. And that was kind of the feeling I had. And it made me feel uneasy. And as I kind of turned and put my head back down on the pillow, I thought to myself, well, I actually thought to myself, maybe I'm dreaming. And, you know, I didn't. I just kind of just went to, you know, slayed there for a couple minutes maybe and then allowed myself to close my eyes and go to sleep. And the next day, I told my family about this. And my family, you know, they all had a laugh. And I described the character as how it had a kind of like a black hood and, it was very dark. It wasn't like it was someone wearing a, a dark hoodie. And my father, who's a police officer, um, he did sometimes you know, wake up much earlier than the rest of us to go to work early. And I knew it wasn't him. And the house was old. And the floors always squeaked. And I, I was telling my family, like, the floors weren't squeaking. The hallway, like, you, can always, you could always hear someone coming down the hallway. And I didn't hear this. And as I described this whole experience to my family, they all referred to it as Tim's ghost and... You know, for years they made fun of me, you know, you know, whenever, you know, like, oh, someone left the toilet seat up. Oh, someone, uh, uh, someone forgot to close the, or the garage door. Oh, it must have been Tim's ghost. And they just made fun of me for years about it. And a couple years after this incident, we were swimming in the pool in the backyard and we were playing Marco Polo. I guess I was about I don't know, seven or eight years old. And the way Marco Polo, the, the pool game where, you know, you have to keep your eyes closed and you say Marco and the kids say Polo and you try to find, you know, find them in the water. And the way we played it is we would go underwater. The person who was who was it, right, who had to find everybody would go underwater. They'd stick their hands above the water and count off on their fingers to ten. And this would give, you know, everybody in the pool enough time to jump out of the pool and run around the pool or swim swim to different areas so they can't get caught. And of course, you know, like most kids, I think like everybody, you know, I opened my eyes underwater to see like, you know, where people were were so when I came up I could, you know, cheat. And as I opened my eyes underwater, you know, I'm in the shallow end. I was a, I was a uh, I was a strong swimmer, but I was in the shallow end and I was kind of like looking off into the deep end of the pool. And, and the, you know, the pool was kind of like a kidney bean shape. And in the deep end of the pool, which was maybe 10 or 11 feet, 
um, you know, and that, you know, how, how things are blurry underwater, but in the middle of the pool, kind of floating in the deep end, like not standing on the bottom, but not on the, not near the top was this dark shadow of a figure. And this time the shape wasn't crisp, you know, cause your eyes are underwater and it's blurry. And, and I just saw it, saw it. And this, this is, you know, this person figure, uh, had their arms out, like almost like the, in the shape of a T. You know, the body was in the shape of a T. They're kind of floating there in the deep end. And this time that scared the hell out of me. And I just burst out of the water. And I just yelled. And my brothers and sisters and, you know, I guess some neighborhood kids were all kind of freaked out about, you know, what I just did. And they thought maybe I choked underwater or something. And I explained to them what happened. And right off the bat, you know, my my sister goes, oh, it must have been Tim's ghost, and but you know she stopped because she saw how upset I was. I had to actually get out of the pool, and and then you know all everyone kind of took me a bit more seriously once they realized that I wasn't joking around, that I wasn't kind of doing this for attention, um, and you know they all kind of calmed me down, and the whole, you know the way I. One of the things they, they said to kind of calm me down was like, oh, maybe a plane flew over the, the pool and the shadow of the plane projected on the wall of the pool and that's what you saw. Um, and to my seven or eight-year-old brain, that made sense and that calmed me down and then you know I, I got back in the water so I played Marco Polo with them. And that was that. And then on... My ninth or tenth birthday, I can't really remember, I had a you know, bunch of boys over from my school, and once again, we're all playing Marco Polo or some, some pool game, and you know, one, of, one of the guys, uh, you know, my best boyhood friend Gary, we're still friends to this day, uh, and I brought this up and he still remembers it, uh, same scenario, he went underwater, the rest of us were kind of going to other ends of the pool, so we could, you know, get away from him, and like all kids, you know, he cheated and opened his eyes underwater, and his, he had that same experience, and he actually jolted right, straight right out of the pool, like, you know, he just swam right to the edge and kind of freaked out, and he didn't tell us what was, he, we didn't know what was going on until he actually was completely out of the, out of the pool, and he explains it, and my, my sister was there, and she goes, Tim, that just, you know, that, that sounds just like your ghost story. Like, do you remember when that happened? And, of course, I remembered when that happened. And um, that's, and that's it. Uh, that, that's, the, that's the extent of my experience with shadow people, if that's what they were. Or, you know, hopefully, they, or whatever figments of my imagination. Um, I brought these experiences up to my sister... Uh, a, a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago, and uh, and she laughed and she's like, "Oh, I remember all of that. I remember you talking about these, you know, when you were a kid." And she's like, "You know, I don't know if I ever told you this, but once when I was swimming in the pool, uh, I was in the deep end, and and our babysitter at the time and the babysitter's friend, uh, they were sitting on kind of like a bench seat that's in the deep end. There was this." There was like this stair or this step into the deep end or into the pool, but it could also be kind of a bench for, you know, two or three people to sit on and just kind of sit there in the deep end. And my sister, they were sitting there. My sister was kind of, you know, pulling on their feet and 
sinking to the bottom and you know pushing off the bottom of the pool and going to the top and you know and repeating that and just going to the bottom kind of like you know pulling on their feet and the babysitter and her friend were just kind of sitting there on the water chatting and my sister said one time when she was um you know playing whatever that game was she was at the she was standing on the bottom of the deep end which was only about 10 you know 10 feet deep and she was looking up at the babysitter and uh, her friend sitting, you know, sitting in the pool and she could see, you know, she could see their legs and, uh, and their torsos, you know, fine underwater. But you know, of course, above water was distorted because that's, you know, they're out there on the surface. And she says she could see, you know, both of them fairly clearly distorted, but kind of stand, you know, sitting there chatting. But she says she could see someone standing behind them on, on the surface, on the, on the deck of the pool. Um, like a, just a dark figure, and it, my sister thought, oh, you know, it kind of, kind of, not really freaked her out, but caused her, you know, some alarm. So she this time came all the way up to the surface of the water to see who it was standing behind the babysitter and her friend on the on the pool deck. And when she came to the surface of the water, that shape was gone. Um, and so yeah, that that concludes both my experience uh, with shadow people as well as my friend and uh or my boyhood friend and my sisters uh great show uh and thanks thanks for your time have a nice day thank you tim for taking the time to submit your story despite your big move i won't take much time to speculate as to what tim saw on all three occasions he seems to do a pretty decent job of that himself what i will say is that this summer while you're lounging around your pool, keep this story in mind. After all, there might just be an interdimensional demon in your deep end. And that's going to do it for this episode of Monsters Among Us, but before I go, I'd like to touch on a couple quick things. I'll be taking a week off between this episode and the Season 3 finale show. Regular listeners to the show know I hate taking time off, but... This episode is getting big fast and I need plenty of time to put it all together. So that means you have an extra week to submit your extra awesome story. So if you have something you've been sitting on and you'd like to share, simply call the Monster Hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And as always, you can hit up the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sightings tab for other submission options. During the break, let's see if we can pass the 100 mark for iTunes reviews. It takes just a couple minutes to log in and leave a 5-star rating and a kindly worded review, and the results of which are immeasurable. In addition, I'm very close to the 1,000 follower mark on Facebook, so perhaps you can jump over there and like that page as well. Let's try to hit that number. As Season 3 comes to a close, I want to remind you that I happily accept donations. Any amount goes a long way toward hosting fees, studio upgrades, and advertising. Simply click on the Donate tab on the show's webpage. Thank you so much in advance for that. And lastly, it's time to sign up for Cryptic Crate. You have until the 15th of July to be eligible for the August box. And trust me, you do not want to miss it. I should also mention that if you love the July box but miss the cutoff, you can purchase leftover boxes at the Cryptid Crate Etsy shop. You can find that link on the Facebook page 
or simply go to cryptidcrate.etsy.com. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until two weeks from now. <laughs>